The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Hello, everyone. If you are new, uh, welcome. My name is Colm, uh, one of the, the pastors here at LCC. I uh, just want to say a huge thank you to everyone for your prayers for last week. Uh, we had our Acts 29 um, regional conference. So it was our Asia-Pacific conference. Uh, so we had... Uh, church planters from all over Asia Pacific and Australia and New Zealand and it was just a wonderful time and encouragement um, to keep on making much of Jesus and to keep on planting more and more churches which is something that we are about as a church family Um, and so just the prayers uh, for you during that time during that week uh, was greatly uh, appreciated. Um, So we've been going through Matthew 5 to 7 this is Jesus's Sermon on the Mount and we're going through it bit by bit um, and so Jesus is basically, uh, he, he's had a day where he's kind of been doing things throughout the day and then he's kind of gone up to this, this hill and he's starting to teach those who would follow him about his kingdom. And so he starts off talking about the characteristics of those that would be in the kingdom, what it means to be blessed to be in the kingdom. And so he's, he's talked about that it's blessed um, basically to be pure of heart and He's kind of gone through all these different things. He's talked about us being salt and light. And then in this part of the, 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 the sermon that Jesus gives, he, he basically wants to look at how the cultural context of the Christian community, or the Jewish community particularly, how they are understanding things about the Bible and the Old Testament. And he wants to come alongside and, and he wants to say, like, you've heard it said, but, but I say. So in many ways, what he's doing is he's kind of correcting and trying to help readjust some of their perspective of how they're understanding a lot of the Old Testament law. And so in this particular passage, it, it kind of is sandwiched in between. We've looked at anger, and he wants to talk about the heart and what's going on in the heart of people. And so the, the Pharisees are basically saying, hey, we haven't murdered anyone. And Jesus is like, that's good, but you're also harboring heart, uh, anger in your heart. Uh, he also talks about lust and said, so like, well, we haven't committed adultery. He's like, I, that's good. But also, you, you still got stuff going on in your heart. After this, next week, he's going to talk about lying and you're making all these promises. Um, and and, and in, in the middle is like this, this piece of adultery. And I, I think it's not a coincidence that in amongst those three kind of things of truthfulness, purity, the way that we treat one another, that he wants to bring up this this topic. And so I know that as we enter into it, we are in a room where this, this type of topic has implications and it has a felt reality for us. Uh, there are men and women in this room who are divorced, who never wanted to be divorced. And you've experienced the hardship and the heartache of what that is. Um, there are some of us maybe we're currently in marriages and we're like, we're not enjoying it. And we're asking lots of questions. Uh, there are children in the room who have experienced their parents no longer being together. Uh, in fact, I read a statistic that said three out of five families in Australia now will not have mum and dad remain married throughout that, that child's sort of zero to 18 years of age. And so this is not something that we want to approach lightly. This is not something that we don't want to uh, just come in and just go, oh, Jesus says this, so that's what it is. Um, because sometimes that's how people can approach it. No, Jesus is talking to people in his day that this is affecting in a real way. And he wants to come and say a few things. And so he starts off and he says, It was also said, 
Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. So you've got in Jesus' day, there are uh, the rabbinical schools, there are the religious elite, there are the Pharisees, and their teaching implications in an understanding of divorce, which comes from the Old Testament. And so what I want to do is I want to look at what the Old Testament says through Moses. I want to look at what the current religious teachers are teaching in Jesus' day, and then we want to look at what Jesus has to say. And so I want to start with Moses. Now, in ancient cultures... They had a very, very low view of women. If, you, if you've studied anything in history, this is not, not new knowledge to us. Okay? In ancient cultures, women were seen as objects, property. Um, they were very, very... Uh, had, it, was, it was such a low view of, of women. And what was happening in Moses' day is God's people are adopting the culture's same view of how they treat women. And so husbands are treating women like property. They're treating women as second-class citizens, and so they're just, they're just divorcing wives and getting rid of wives because, well, you, you kind of just can. And so what God does through Moses, it goes, hey, that's not how it works for my people. That's not how my people, that's not how my kingdom works. That's not how we treat women. That's not how we treat marriage. And so what God does through Moses is he, he wants to actually lift up the value of marriage. He actually wants to lift up the value of women in their day and, and kind of get some, some regulation as to how we are going to do this thing called marriage. And so Deuteronomy 24 says this. It says, When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house. It then goes on to say, and then if that woman then is able to remarry, and then that husband divorces uh, her again... Then the, the first husband who divorced her, you don't get to change your mind, mate. You don't get to come back and just change your mind, okay? You need to take this thing very, very seriously. You need to consider the reasons for why you're doing it. But there was a whole lot of questions around what it meant to find some indecency. Um, often, we've said this already, often when the Bible kind of gives instructions, sometimes they're a little bit vague. Sometimes they're very nuanced. And often that's intentional. Uh, what Jesus doesn't want to do, uh, and what, what Moses doesn't want to do, is to like just give this very, very narrow thing, and then there's nothing else that can fall outside of that. He wants to give the letter of the law so that people would obey the spirit of the law. Okay, does that make sense? And so what Pharisees, religious people, they love to kind of like get that really, remember we've been talking about this, they love the like super clear line, and then that's clear. So, so, we don't murder, because that's what it says. We haven't done that. And Jesus is like, that's good, but that really clear line is to go deeper than just don't murder. How are you thinking and treating another person? Are you harboring hate in your heart towards them? Like the line is there, yes, but you need to go deeper and beyond that. And so it goes on to say that if a man legitimately divorces a woman... And then she's given a, we're going to look at this, given a certificate of divorce and then marries someone else again. And then that man divorces her. And that first husband doesn't get to just come back and treat her like another bit of property that he can come back and get. Now, Carly and I have been married for a while. And like many marriages and many future marriages, we often have had that conversation about like, if I was to pass away, do you think you would remarry? And I always have the same answer. You are the only wife for me. 
<laughs> uh, actually, for us, both of us has kind of said, like, nah. Like, we're middle-aged. That's way too much work to start. And, do this, and there's a few head nodders. Like, this has been a lot of work to get to this point. Why would we go through all of that again to try and get... We would just... We're too busy. There's too many other things we could do for the Lord. We'd probably not get remarried. Right? But then there's also the other side that comes up, which is, like... Carly could probably have some suitors to get remarried. It's probably not a lot, a lot, a lot of people lining up to remarry with this guy. Right, we kind of have that little ongoing joke of like, she could probably actually get remarried. There's probably not a lot in the pipeline uh, for me. Um, it's a joke between us and it's fine. I'm fine with it. It's what happens when you're pasty and got ranger and lots of freckles and moles and you're middle-aged. In an ancient culture, that's not how the, the story goes, though. If a husband divorces his wife, that wife is in deep, deep trouble. That woman has no way to earn an income in an ancient civilization. She is basically left hung out to dry. There is, there is, there is not a lot of chance for her. And so it's no laughing matter for single women. That's why if you read the Bible, the Old Testament, it's constantly talking about caring for widows. Because that's the... That's the the culture in which they live in, that's the time in which they live in. They're not looked after financially. They're hung out to dry. Even families, even with a shame on a culture, some families would not even take their own daughter back because the family would be disgraced that she's been divorced. And so through Moses, God says, this is not how this happens in my kingdom. This, this is not right. Men. You are to cherish your wives. You are to love them. You are to serve them. You are to care for them. Not find ways to get rid of them. And so what's happening in Deuteronomy 24 is not a bunch of rules in a vacuum, right? This is God trying to actually help regulate a massive problem in ancient culture. And so the Mosaic Laws come, comes in and says, listen, there, there may be legitimate reasons for divorce to occur. But in that case, a legal certificate must be provided. That legal certificate meant that you had to have essentially professional legal scribes, multiple sitting at the table, where they're checking the language of that certificate. That would be signed by both parties. And then that woman could now go out into the, the culture and she is not now looked down upon. She has been freed from. And a sense in which... If someone came and accused her, well, hang on, aren't you married to him? Like, and now you're starting a relationship with him? She could actually say, I have a document that says I'm free to remarry and start a new relationship. And then he's putting the, the emphasis back onto a husband and saying, hey, you, you don't get to do this on a whim. You better have legitimate reasons to consider how you're treating this woman. And I just want to say just to the, to the younger generation of women in the church, um, there's a lot of bad stuff, a lot of bad press about how the Bible views women. And I just want to say, if you read it from front to back, the Bible constantly is trying to lift up the value of women. That is not a Christian biblical perspective of women at all. It is constantly elevating the value of women in cultures which do not value women. And that is so important. Do not just take what you hear through YouTube and, and the culture of like, this is... No, no, no. This is not... God is coming to ancient cultures and saying, you think about this. Take it very, very seriously. 
And so then you get to the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees live basically in a Greco-Roman context, right? And so the Greeks, if you know anything about the Greeks, they're just as bad as anyone. Uh, listen to uh, Demosthenes. He's a, he's a Greek statesman and orator in uh, ancient Athens. And the 300s, he says this. He says, We have courtesans for the sake of pleasure. We have concubines for the sake of daily cohabitation. And we have wives for the purpose of having children legitimately and having a faithful guardian for all the household affairs. So that is how a Greek, a typical Greek man would view women. Valuable or property? I'm going to go with property, right? There's not a whole lot of value there. Now, the Romans come... And the Romans have kind of their own culture going on. And the Romans actually initially start off with having a huge high value on the family and the household and the home. In fact, in the first 500 years of their commonwealth, there is not one single legal divorce that ever happens. The guy who uh, had his first divorce, he's got an awesome name. His name is Spurius Carvilius Ruga. And in 234 BC, he was the first man to ever get a legal divorce through the Roman Empire, and that was because his wife was childless and he desired a child, so they gave him permission to find another woman who could bear him children. But as the Romans invaded and started to battle with Greece, what happened is the Romans dominated the Greeks militarily, but the Greeks dominated the Romans culturally. And all of a sudden, over a period of years, the Romans adopt Greek practices, Greek thinking, Greek thought, Greek principles, so much so that Roman orator Matillus Nimodicus said this, he said, if Romans it were possible to love without wives, we'd be free from trouble. But since it is the law of nature that we can neither live pleasantly with them, nor at all without them, we must take thought for the continuance of the race, rather than for our own brief pleasure. How you feeling, ladies? Welcome to church. Welcome to church. In other words, marriage, guess we've got to do it. Wives, guess we've got to have them so that as a Roman Empire we can keep having children. But if we didn't have to do any of that, they're too much, they're too much of a hassle. Now, as in Moses' day, where that the Hebrews were taking on the cultural customs of the surrounding nations, so now in Jesus' day, the Jews are taking on that Roman, Greco-Roman culture and the way that they view women, the way that they view divorce, and they're adopting their principles. They're adopting the way they do it. And so he says, It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give a certificate of divorce. And when you read Hebrews 24, the Basically, the debate comes around like, well, what does it mean that a husband might find some indecency with his wife? And in Jewish culture at this time, there are basically two schools of thought. There is the school of Shammai and there is the school of Hillel. So if you read anything in, in ancient sort of Jewish culture, those two schools are going to come up. Like, like it's, it's kind of Ford versus Holden. Okay, it's Pepsi versus Coke. It's DC versus Marvel. What it is, is it's conservatism versus progressives. And so Shammai said, well, this some decency can only be adultery, and in every case where adultery happens, they are commanded to divorce. Which, if you read it, they are not commanded to divorce. 
they are given permission to on that case, but there is no record ever where God is commanding divorce. He is not commanding it. He's saying in certain cases, this may be necessary. The school of Halil, however, they had a different idea because some, some indecency was like, well, if you read some of the, the cultural writings of their day, the school of Hillel thought that, well, if she burns the food, I find that indecent. Now, some of us younger people are like, man, I'm just trying to get her to cook some food. Because we eat Uber Eats every week, so it's like, you know, do we divorce, like, Kintai, or like, who are we divorcing here? Because we just eat out all the time. Okay. Um, they, they come up with all these lists of, of some indecency. There was the fact that what if I find another woman more attractive than the one I married? She's now indecent to me. They came up with all sorts of reasons. Now question, in a culture that's been influenced by the Greco-Roman culture, which school of thought do you think became the more common amongst the men? The one which is really, really hardline or the one who made all of the sum indecency just to be like, just make it up. You find like that, that freckle, I know it was there before we married, but I didn't really notice it. But now that I've really noticed it, because now I see you a lot more, that's indecent. Which school of thought do you think most of the culture went with? Okay, we're going with Hillel, right? That's, that's what sinful males are doing. They're basically like, we are, we are finding all sorts of reasons to just be like our Roman counterparts and not place a high view on marriage, not place a high value on looking after our women, and so we will dismiss them. So the school of Hillel, there is no writings that teach men to love their wives, cherish their wives, serve their wives. It actually keeps teaching them ways to get rid of their wives. Now let's quickly just jump to John 4, woman at the well. Jesus engages this woman who's had multiple men, and Jesus is like, and now you're with one who's not married. We have mostly heard that through the lens, well, she must be an immoral woman. The text doesn't necessarily say that, but we interpret it that way. But if you go back to the ancient culture, could it be possible that she is just being dismissed by one man after another, after another, after another? And so here is this woman who has no sense of security, no sense of identity, and Jesus is saying, but don't put it there. Come to me, the river of living water. And so the religious people are appearing pious on the outside, and Jesus continues to expose their true state. And so, yes, you have murdered. Well done. Let's talk about harboring hate towards your neighbor. Yes, you haven't committed adultery. Well done. But let's talk about the indecent thoughts in your mind. And yes... Okay, you, you might on occasion find a legitimate reason to divorce, but we need to talk about this. And so Jesus says, but I say that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, that word is puneo, we looked at that last week, it's also very, very vague. It's, it's, we don't know exactly what that means. It could mean a lot of things. We, we know that we've gotten our English word pornography out of that word. And so there are all sorts of things that that means. And then he says, he makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. What he means by that is, when you don't legitimately divorce a woman, and then she now goes and marries, 
Well, she's not yet divorced, and so now she is committing a sin because she's united to you. And so legitimately, this is now leading to a whole bunch of women who are basically committing adultery because they have not been looked after. In Matthew 19, Jesus also speaks on this, and we'll go through this pretty quickly. But in Matthew 19, verse 3, the Pharisees come up to Jesus trying to test him, and they say, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause, for any indecency, right? And he answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they, those two shall become one flesh. They are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, well, why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce? Did he command? No, he did not command. He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. And so what Jesus does here is he gives, I think, three things he wants to speak to. Number one is the heart of marriage. In Matthew 19, he goes, let's go back to the beginning and let's talk about the point of this whole thing. You guys are trying to find ways out. The direction of your question is, how do we get out? Wrong direction. The question is not, how do we get out of this difficult thing, this complicated thing? The heart of those of us who would be followers of Jesus should not be first, how do we get out? It should be first, how do we make this awesome? And for those of you going through premarital and things like that, uh, it is so important that the things that you start now in the beginning of your marriage, you must keep them going on and on and on and on and don't quit Why? Because we want to keep going deeper and deeper and deeper and getting better and stronger and stronger and stronger. So Jesus says, the direction of your question is wrong. God is trying to join things together, not separate. And so notice that that they're trying to get out, and Jesus is saying, wrong direction. But Jesus is also reminding them that this is not a cultural civil civil contract. Okay, our, our culture... Is, is wanting to dismiss marriage because they think it's a, a cultural construct and it's an ancient construct. And as Christians, we need to say, no, it's not a cultural construct. It's not, it's not a civil contract. This is God-designed. This was God's plan from the beginning to take one man, one woman, and to cause a union of one flesh, which then eventually would would create another young man and another young woman at some point, and they too. And this is the beginning of the story of God, that this thing would flow on, and this is how we would multiply into the earth. Contract is a word our culture understands, but a contract is based on mutual distrust. I don't know if you're going to keep your end of the bargain, so we're going to write this clause in, so that if you don't keep that, I get an out. Contract. Anyone here do contracts? Okay, it's, it's mutual distrust. You don't trust me, I don't trust you. Covenant is the opposite of that. Covenant is, is the sense of it's, it's based on mutual commitment. Like, I'm fully in. I'm fully in. Good. Spirit, soul, body, mind, emotions. This is what Jesus is saying. You, you, you're making a contract and you're seeking just to cut it off and break it. 
And so a covenant is based on mutual commitment, not mutual distrust. A commitment to, to not just be loved, but to love. Not just to be served, but to serve. And to ultimately extend grace to one another when we mess this thing up, of which we all do. And so Jesus points them back to the beginning of the creation story and how God made it. And this deep covenant one flesh union is supposed to be joyful, fruitful, and a blessing, not just to the married couple, but to the world. And then he exposes the heart of sin. I love that question. Why did Moses command it then? Can, can you hear the immaturity of these people? Why did Mo- and Jesus like, he never, he never commanded it. He made it permissible in order to protect some people. Because people were being taken advantage of and abused and neglected. And they have no out. And so we are going to make a way because people won't choose to fully commit. People won't choose to fully stay in. People won't choose to give of themselves emotionally, spiritually, mentally, relationally, friendship. And what we see in the Bible is that divorce is like experiencing an amputation because as you become one flesh, these, these two becoming one, this union, when you, when you get divorced, it's like an amputation. And young people, if you speak to anyone in this room who has been through this, it is seriously painful. It hurts so bad. And, and it does stuff on the inside that is so wounding. I've walked a number of people through this and tears are in it all the time. And God's like, that's not what I want for you. I don't want you to have to experience that. So Paul indicates later in that divorce can also occur through desertion of of the covenant. Again, we're not given specifics of what that means, but there are different ways in which, which Jesus is like, listen... There are just some people who just won't follow my ways. And sometimes that means difficult, hard decisions. And the Bible is trying to say, listen, let's not make it easy like our culture does. Let's not do that. Let's not, let's not just say, oh, well, it's hard or I don't like them anymore. In Australia, if your marriage lasts more than five years, you are now in the majority I've been married 20. The first seven were hard. Carly would say the first 20 (laughs) were hard. She's wrong. And here's the heart of God. It doesn't just show us the heart of sin, doesn't just show us the heart of marriage, it shows us the heart of God. That God loves men, God loves women, God loves marriage. God loves children. God loves the world. And he has created a way in which his love can be spread throughout this world. And a key to that is marriages 
families. And some of us, you know, we don't feel like we're these extraordinary missionaries going over to, you know, and doing all these things. It's like, you know what, sometimes your, your solid marriage, which you are working so hard to thrive and make thrive, and your family and cultivating that stuff, is it has a huge impact on the neighbors beside you, the people you work with. Don't underestimate that. And so the Bible does say, hey, yeah, let's, let's restrict this to sexual immorality in this idea of someone who's not maintaining their covenant. There is permission there. Let's not make all sorts of easy reasons out, but let's not just do that. Let's make sure our focus is in. And so I want to say to those who might be in marriages right now that struggle, God cares. God really cares about you. And God wants to see your marriage flourish. And so if you need help, come and see us. We will pray with you. We will work with you. We have men and women in this room who've been through difficulties who can walk with you and help you. I've seen marriages in this room, we said it last week, that have been through hell and back, and now they're thriving, and it's amazing to watch. God's heart is for fulfilling joyful union. God's heart is for protection. Where sinfulness breaks that union, He wants to protect the innocent party. And God's heart is for faithfulness and deep relationships because that is what reflects God's nature to you and I. So if you read the Bible, and if you were here last week, hearing from Judges chapter 3, Pastor Sam was reminding us that sometimes the way that the Bible speaks of idolatry is adultery. That as men and women, we, we are... A church, and the way that church is described, that we are in a covenant with God. And if you read the Old Testament, you read the New Testament, it is God's people that continually break that covenant. And we keep going to other things. And God says, no, that's, that's not okay. But you know what He also does? Is He comes back. And He continues to faithfully pursue and woo us back to Himself by His grace. And Jesus is pointing towards our faithfulness in the most important relationships, reflecting His faithfulness to His most important relationship outside of Himself, which is His church. And how did Jesus show us that? He went to a cross and died for you. He took all the ways in which we don't keep our covenant with Him and he said, put that on me. I will die. I will take their sin. I will take all the things in which we do. And then I will raise again to new life so that they can be in a relationship with me. And you and I, we need to thank our, we need to thank our God because he is faithful. So faithful. Amen. He keeps loving us, giving us his grace. God keeps saying, I'm for the relationship. I'm not quitting on the relationship. I'm for this relationship and I will remain faithful to you. So come, return and be faithful to me. And I can tell you, I'm so thankful to a God who is like that because I am so unfaithful to God. But he is so faithful. Let's pray. God, there's so much more we could dig into and so many you know, different applications and different aspects that we could get into. Uh, but we don't have the time today. So Father, I pray that you would just take, take your word and it would pierce our hearts. 
God, that we would take marriage and covenant seriously as a church. That we would encourage one another in our marriages, in our families, to prioritize these, these relationships in a way which is reflective of you. God, I pray for us as a church family that we would support others, maybe in relationships that are difficult and struggling. Father, that we would be safe places of refuge for others to come and share the truth of what's going on in their relationships. God, I pray that we would be a church that would apply grace and not shame. And that, Lord, that we would seek to help and not burden. And God, ultimately, that we'd be a church that keeps pointing back to our great faithful God who models for us what it looks like to be faithful, to maintain a covenant, to fight for a relationship, to put aside anything that might try and come in and weasel its way in and take, take out this relationship, Lord, that we would, we would look to you and go, man, we want to we be like God, we want to be like Jesus and God, we want to say thank you for your grace and your mercy towards us, men and women who are not always faithful to you, often faithless. But you are faithful. And we thank you in your son's wonderful name. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Center Church, located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature, and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare, and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.